Had that little video been put together, I was not wearing girl pants. Um, those were Ben's pants. Uh, mine were dirty. I was doing some laundry. That was kind of how it just turned out. You know, Ben is sneaky. He's got that camera. It's kind of kind of sniperish. And my Chugadoo's parked out back. I wrote it in from Sisters this morning. If, if you guys are interested in checking it out, all the all the single guys are okay. Okay, I'll check it out. Um, let's pray as we get started today. Father, we um, are overwhelmed easily by the depth of this world, by the brokenness, by the numbers and the statistics, God. And I pray this morning that you would create a real space inside of us so we are able to engage with you. And God, I pray that we might be able this morning to redefine some terms, maybe to relearn or unlearn something that is keeping us comfortable. That in that space, you might infuse yourself, God, something real, something alive, something that will click in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, God, that will carry us out of this room into this community, Father. God, we're here and you are the king you're the king of our hearts. You're the king of this story. And so we just thank you for that this morning, God. In your name we pray. Amen. I've really just got two questions I want to try and answer. Ooh, my beard. Is that better? Hello? Anybody? Okay, I got a thumbs up. Thanks, man. Um, two questions I really want to try and answer this morning. The first one is why justice? Why does it even matter? Um, the second question is, why Africa? And you kind of stole my thunder, but that's cool. I'm with you. Um, they kind of seem like easy questions. I think my easy answer would probably be, well, because God is the God of justice. Um, Africa is God's place. We are God's people. And it really is that easy. It really is that simple. But the thing I've come to learn about those questions, and especially traveling through um, Central Africa with World Relief for a couple weeks, learning that they really aren't that simple, and that those questions usually hide some other question. There's all these layers of things that are going on. And when we ask, why justice, um, sometimes we're asking, why bother? The problem's too big. Are you really going to make a difference? 5.4 million people, we're only 300, 400 in this room. What are we going to do about that? What am I going to do, a single individual? And sometimes when we ask why justice, we're kind of worried about the whole social gospel. We're worried about losing the heart, the truth. We're worried about just loving and forgetting about what it is that gives us reconciliation and what gives us peace. And when we ask why Africa, generally we're asking, why not here? There are people on Bond, people on Wall Street who need help. There are people probably two seats down from me right now that need help. So why justice? And why Africa? The hard answer, I think to find it, we have to go back to the beginning. And as I go back to the beginning, if you have your Bibles, why don't you flip them open to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to kind of bounce around inside of that little proverb this morning to kind of find some truth, hopefully some answers to these questions. But in the beginning, if we go back to the Genesis account of creation, God is there in powerfully speaking things into existence. He is so powerful when he opens his mouth, light comes out, heavens come out, earth comes out. And when these things come to fruition, he says they are good. God creates things completely. He creates them as they are to be. But when he makes man, you guys remember that? He makes man out of this. He forms him. 
and he breathes life into him, and he looks back at him, and he says, no, nah, it's not good. It's not good. It's not finished. So he comes along, and he makes woman. He makes Eve. And then God can step back and say, yes, this is good. This is right. And then God rests. But we've got to understand that from the beginning, God creates incompleteness. Everything is right where it should be. So I want you to check out Proverbs 3, verse 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. It is by wisdom and by understanding that God rightly puts things in the right places. That he creates the capacity for these things to exist and then he gives them the life to exist to the fullness of that capacity. By his wisdom and by his understanding, all of this came to be. And wisdom is kind of what I want to look at just for a second here as we're in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is a powerful thing. Wisdom is not morality. You know, a lot of us believe that if we just live moral lives, we'll be okay. If I follow the Ten Commandments, it'll be okay. But I don't know about you, most of my decisions in life are not should I murder or not murder. <laughs> it's should I be the college pastor at Antioch or should I not? And that is not really a moral issue. It is a wisdom issue. And there is something that I need to tap into. There's a potential to God that I need to turn my ear to so that I can follow his leading in that. And it's the same thing for all of us. Wisdom is being in tune to God's reality and to his nature. And so it is with wisdom that God creates and puts things in the right places. And it is by his presence that he completes his creation. So God creates with completeness and wisdom. Check this out, verse 17, Proverbs 3. Her, being wisdom, is personified as a woman here. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all of her paths are peace. Verse 18. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. See, wisdom as a blessing. Wisdom as something that we have access to that will give us a power beyond something we can understand. Wisdom as being in tune to the way things really work. Wisdom is that agent that we can access that allows us to look beyond through the illusions of life, through all the lies, through all the deceit, through all the things that we thought were something worth chasing but turned out to be a dead end road. Wisdom is how God creates. It is what he gives us. According to this proverb, it says that it gives us pleasantness and it gives us peace. So when you're standing at a crossroad and there are a thousand different choices, wisdom is that thing that we can get in touch with that will say, take this road. This is the one of pleasantness. This is the one of peace. My beard is out of control. There we go. So there's this word peace. You guys still hear me? There's this word peace that in English is kind of a puny little word. <laughs> I think one of my first memories of the word peace is watching a Miss America pageant. I know that's a normal thing for like an eight-year-old guy to do. But it was on. It was on somewhere. I'm sure I was at the dentist and it was on because that's what they show. I need to get a new dentist. That's just weird. Uh, but, you know, they always ask the question, what do you want for the world? And they're like the patent answer, I want world peace. World peace. 
peace. All the children to be happy. Michael Jackson wrote a song about it, and it was good. World peace. And I grew up, I grew up, uh, you know, I was born in, in 82, so I grew up with this, this whole tension in, in the Middle East, so that, that mantra on cable news day in and day out, peace in the Middle East, peace in the Middle East. You know, the circle and the line and the bent sign around it, the, the peace sign that came out of the nuclear disarmament movement in the 1950s. And you have, you know, the, the V for victory that came out of, uh, of World War II that meant victory in battle. We have all these symbols, all these things for peace. But this word peace that we're reading about, when Proverbs says that wisdom leads to the path of peace, it does not mean absence of conflict. It means shalom. The Hebrew word shalom for peace means completeness. It means the fullness of. It means that two pieces that are broken, that need to be together, are reunited. It means being knit back together. It means it's not just this surface level, you know, the war is over, so now we have peace. Peace is not just the opposite of conflict. Peace is the maximization potential. Peace is the completing thing that we are all looking for, that we are all running for. Last summer I spent some time in Ethiopia and uh, their national language is Amharic. And in Amharic, the common greeting, uh, you come up to somebody and you, you shake their hand and you, you ask them, Salam no. And Salam is a direct derivative of the word Shalom. So roughly translated, this greeting means, do you have peace? Every time you meet somebody, do you have peace? Do you have peace? When I'm talking to some of my friends there, they're asking the real question that they're asking is, are you complete? Are you living out the fullness of your humanity? Or are there things in your world, in your day, that are distracting you from that completeness? And I think if we take an honest look for 10 seconds around the room, if you relive your drive to church this morning, if you relive the internet surfing you did last night, if you relive the news broadcast last night, I think we can all agree that it is not a complete world. Something is broken. Something is not working right. And I started realizing this about a year ago. The evidence of this is everywhere. And we think about, we think about war and we think about death and all those things, but the evidence of our own incompleteness is everywhere. This universal lostness is everywhere. And think about it. We lock our doors at night. We have locks on our doors because we cannot trust the seven billion other people alive not to come in to our home. We cannot trust them to love our families and our property as much as we do, so we lock up our doors. We build huge, gigantic prisons, and we fill them full. And we are surprised when our laws cannot keep people from doing illegal things, from doing harmful things, from living out their incompleteness in hurtful ways. We have hospitals because we're all struggling with accidents and old age and disease and illness. There is an incompleteness to our physical body, to our physical being. There's an incompleteness, I think, everywhere that we look. Right now, as we're sitting in here in North Kivu, in Congo, I guarantee you there are bullets echoing somewhere. I guarantee you that there is an act of injustice going on right now. This is our world. This is it. 
And we know it here. We're no strangers to death. We're no strangers to loss. We're no strangers to our plans being thwarted. We're no strangers to bankruptcy or divorce or broken hearts. We're no strangers to anger or malice or hate. We are no stranger to that. There is this universal lostness that is going on, and I think the question that we all ask is, what is God doing about it? Why doesn't God rip open the sky over in the Congo and just flick these rebels off the earth forever? Why doesn't God come in here and restore our innocence? Why doesn't he just make it okay? And I think we all have room to ask that question, but sometimes we don't have room to process the answer. I think the answer to what is God doing is that he is busy restoring the shalom. He is busy restoring our completeness. How is he doing that? 2,000 years ago, God decided not to hold on to his rights. He decided to humble himself to the form of a servant. He decided to be born as an infant, confined to bones and skin in infancy, to not know how to walk, to not know how to talk. He entered into the mess. He entered into this brokenness, to this incompleteness. He entered into it. And he learned how to walk, and he learned how to talk, and he learned to suffer. And he learned what injustice is from our viewpoint. He's a God that can relate to that. And God gave his best he gave his best into the broken, into the empty, so that we would have a chance, so that we would have a fighting chance in this tiny little finite life that we have to find something that is complete. God sent his best into the mess. What is he doing for justice? What is he doing in this world? What is he doing in our lives? Jesus is doing it. Jesus is here, and he's living, and he's breathing. And he's calling us to open up that space inside of our hearts where God can breathe inside of us again. I think that he's here and he's redeeming us. He's rescuing us from spiritual poverty. We think over here in America that poverty is material. It is. No money, no food, no house, no car, no investment portfolio. All of that, that is true that is part of poverty but when you spend time with people who live in material poverty you begin to pick up on something there's a theme that poverty is much more psychologically damaging than it is physically damaging there's that overwhelming sense of rejection this imprisoning spirit of never being good enough this powerlessness while we're in Burundi this guy named Jean Baptiste he's a pastor over there he defined poverty to me this way Poverty is the inability to think creatively enough to pull yourself out of the dirt. It is powerlessness. It's not just being hungry. It's not just being thirsty. It is being at a place where you cannot fathom an existence where you are worthy of anything. It is powerlessness against the incompleteness. And the thing about poverty is that we're all there. The poverty is not just an Africa thing. It is not a ghetto thing. It's not just a trailer park thing. It is a humanity thing. We are all there. We are all in need of fixing. We are all in need of meeting something that can complete who we are and what we're doing. And see, that is real poverty. We all have a powerlessness against this incompleteness. And that is why Jesus came. 
That is why Jesus gave his life. That is why he jumped down into the biggest mess imaginable because he loved us enough to give us a chance to find that completeness. In John 14, 23, real quick, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're asking him, if you leave, how are you going to work through us? Because he's just explaining to him that he's got to go and the Spirit is going to come and they don't get it. So he says this to him: If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Did you guys catch that word in there? What is Jesus leaving his disciples with? What has he come to gift us with? What are we inheriting from him coming and living a life and dying a death and rising from the dead? He says, my peace I give to you. My peace is my gift. Jesus is saying, my completeness is my gift to you. My communion with the Father, my unity with Him, my being in step with His Spirit every second of my life is my gift to you. Be complete as I am complete. Experience shalom, peace. Know what it is to be made whole. That is my gift to you. Because when we talk about poverty, we're talking about a fracture of relationship. We're talking about a powerlessness that cannot be made right without a greater power stepping into it. And that is what Jesus is here, and that is what Jesus is doing, and that is what God is doing about injustice around the world. He's saying, I am here to give you this peace, this completeness. And when we accept that peace, when we step in line with that completeness, we are invited to something. Paul refers to it as the ministry of reconciliation, to be ambassadors for Christ. And there are those kinds of people. There are those kinds of people that exist that step into this world that is gross and broken and lonely and incomplete and offer their lives to their own disadvantage for the benefit of their neighbor. There's this really rad verse in Proverbs 11.10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Now what kind of person is it that when they prosper, an entire city rejoices because of that? The verse says that person is righteous. And that word for righteous in the Hebrew is sadiq. T-Z-A-D-D-I-Q. Sadiq. A sadiq. A sadikim in the plural. The kind of person who will willingly disadvantage his life for the benefit of his neighbor. So that success for a sadiq, success for a community of sadikim, is a platform to bring justice to a community. That the benefit of a sadiq is a benefit to the entire community. These doers of justice, these sadiq, the ones who willingly give their lives, found in Proverbs 3, verse 27. 
says this, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. When your neighbor comes knocking on your door and says, I have a need. When someone cries out to you and you have the power, the means to meet that need and you do not do it. You know what Proverbs is saying? It is unwise. It is unwise to not give your life away for other people. That, that phrase, to whom it is due, is translated from the word Baal. And Baal means to lord over. To lord over, and it also means to own. Do you know what Proverbs is saying? Do you know what this is communicating to us? Do not withhold good from its owner. Have you thought about it that way? Your neighbor owns your goodness. Your goodness is designed and created and owned to meet your neighbor. They lord over it. It is their possession to come and to take from you. And a sadiq is the kind of person that willingly opens the door, that willingly creates a hospitable place for someone in need to come and to find their completeness. It is unwise not to do justice. See, the pursuit of peace, shalom, completeness, justice, is the wisest thing you can do. And that is why justice. That is why. Because justice is God's standard. And because justice is God's wisdom alive in us, leading us down those paths that are pleasant, leading us down the paths of completeness. It is who we are in God's making. It is our image. And so why Africa? Marcel, the guy that you got to see a little bit on that video, you'll hear from him a little bit when we play Beth's video. He told us one night over dinner, he said, if you're not willing to commit suicide like we have committed suicide, do not come to the Congo. If you are not willing to give your life away for others, if you are not willing to be a sadiq, to work towards the shalom of all creation and of all God's people, do not come, because this is not a job. This is not something we do for a salary. This is what we do because we are called, because we are God's people. We are made in the image of the God of justice. We are designed in our completeness to invite people into it. And so we go into the mess, as Isaiah 58 says, we go into the breach. We go into the streets that are abandoned. And we try our best to invite people into God's shalom, into his completeness, so that reconciliation can begin. 